Welcome to Ease, the entertainment and showbiz experiences podcast. It's all things entertainment based, how to get into it and how to develop it into something once you are ready to move on. All the information people didn't tell you, forgot to tell you, or were too busy to tell you, all told through personal experiences. In part two of the series, Executive Co-Artistic Director of the Dance Now Miami, Hannah Baumgarten finishes her discussion with me about a few things. We talk about regional dance, being valid, a series of heartbreaks, speaking up when it comes to your career, outcome in different proportions, as well as arts and public schools and how integrating it into the curriculum is pretty vital. She also discusses starting the Dance Now Miami and what it takes to actually own your own dance company. She also follows up with top five attributes to be a standout member inside the Dance Now Miami and dance community. Take a listen to this week's one-on-one. As being in New York, there's trainings all over the place that I see that are that are providing equal levels of training than in New York. And I'm finding that more and more. Well, you know, the the, the concept of regional dance, uh, one, uh, I mentioned Michael Utoff, who was, you know, another one of my close friends and mentors. And he was, he's considered the founder of the regional dance movement, being in Hartford. So he was mm-hmm. a New York dancer. He danced with Lamone. He danced with Joffrey. So he did, and this is again, my family tree, again, a mm-hmm. person that did ballet and modern dance. Mm-hmm. He founded the Hartford Ballet and, and, and relocated. First, he tried to, new, to create a chamber ensemble in New York. But then what he realized is that he went outside New York. Yeah. He went to a place that he was very smart, that had a lot of money. They had the insurance companies. All were located in Hartford. Mm. And he was able to convince them to fund the organization. Gotcha. That's how Hartford Ballet was manifested and funded. Mm-hmm. So... But he's considered sort of the father of the regional dance movement because there was New York and then there were the Christensen brothers who did Ballet West and San Francisco Ballet. Yeah. And there was Ben Stevenson in Houston. Houston, yep. Washington Ballet, Hartford yep. Ballet, Boston Ballet. So other than the Christensen brothers, all those other companies are considered the regional dance Companies and of course now we consider, for example, Houston Ballet, Boston Ballet, yeah, equal to you know, and San Francisco ABT New York. But at the time, it was a huge rebellion to imagine that not not only were the dancers going to be good enough, but that the audiences would come. Yeah. And you know, jumping way ahead, of course, I am the director of Dance Now Miami. We founded more than twenty years ago. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we are constantly faced with this battle of, do we have enough audience here? But mm-hmm. in reality, it's, we're, we're really thriving because the Joyce, I don't even think the Joyce has 400 seats. So because it's yeah. in New York, it's the most important theater for modern dance, sold out at the Joyce is 400. Well, we've sold that many tickets here in Miami. Yeah. But because it's Miami, it, we don't have... Uh, the same validation. We don't have the same recognition. We are not um, seen by the same critics. We don't get the same funding Mm -hmm. that another organization would, say, for example, from the NEA. We get plenty of funding from our county and our state. So they are supporting this this, um, venture fully. And in fact, Miami-Dade County believes that art and culture is the most important thing that we can invest in other because it is secondary to tourism. Now there's tourism in Miami and then there's culture because they believe that it, our, our society here will grow mm-hmm. sort of similar to what I was saying, what was starting to diminish in New York. They're trying to promote that. And so you're having the, the conservatories that are here in, in South Florida, the, the high school training programs are world-class Mm-hmm. And they are now contributing to the cultural life that happens and and is mirrored by the, the work that's produced here and um, creating internationally recognized art, like yeah. Dance Now, like Rosie Herrera, like um, people like Chris Rudd, who are now in New York. They had their whole foundation here in Miami. Um, 
No, and you you bring up a good point. Miami, Fort Lauderdale, this this lower region of South Florida is becoming this um, silent producer of of great art. Uh, I mean, even visual arts. Uh, Wynwood, for example, is a, is a great um, kind of catalyst for visual artists. You see humongous works. It brings in lots of tourism, but it also promotes art at the same time. Dance Even ja- jazz music, imagine. Jazz music, which mm-hmm. was on a decline, has been revived by Miami-Dade and Broward counties, partially yeah. because we have this mix of Latino and Black culture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is, again, back to reflecting on that same thing of what happens when diversities interact. The two high school programs, New World and Dillard, basically mm-hmm. have been in the top five, top three jazz programs in the nation for the past 15 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We went to New York and we went to the... Um, um, one of the most famous, oh, I can't even remember, the, the, the um, Carnegie Hall? No, no, a jazz, a small jazz venue that is like one of the most famous in Bar the Lines? world. No, no, a small one. It's in the village, I want to say oh. the village gate or um, no. I'll remember the name. I'll get it from Fabio. Mm-hmm. And we were so excited and we finally, we came in and who was it? It was a trio where the pianist was Cuban, trained at New World School of the Arts in Miami. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. And we were just laughing. We said, we came all the way to New York to hear the best jazz that's in the country. We didn't. And it's from Miami. And it's in Miami. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So tonight, I'm going to see a jazz funk band at the rooftop of the Citadel, which is a progressive, mm-hmm. let's call it, food hall. Mm-hmm. And I know that they're going to be as good as any group that I go to see in New York. Sure. And so the culture that is being, first of all, a huge amount is being exported from Miami to other places, to New Mm -hmm. York, to Europe. Um, But a good amount is now staying here and our cultural scene is blossoming. Mm -hmm. Very true. Um, But but wait, there's one thing though, because there's not a lot of there's not enough dance organizations and there's not enough dance jobs, dancers leave. Sure. So, for example, when the the new Performing Arts Center was built and they were trying to decide what to do with the old Performing Arts Center in Miami Beach, the Jackie Gleason, we voted whether or not it would go for the Fillmore, which would be a live concert venue, or if Cirque Mm -hmm. du Soleil would take it over. Uh, And people didn't want Cirque du Soleil to take it over because they didn't like the idea of the cruise ships bussing people in to the theater. And they, I don't know why people were so out of their minds. First of all, it would have made Lincoln road thrive even more. Yeah. And it wouldn't have had to become so corporate because it would have been all this flux of money coming in all the time. Mm -hmm. Second of all, for us, we were devastated because if Cirque du Soleil was in Miami and they had their studios in Miami and they were hiring Mm -hmm. people, all in of a sudden, Miami. more and more dancers would want to be in Miami and stay in Miami, and we would have a bigger workforce mm-hmm. to choose from. Mm-hmm. And so we always, even though you know we're still scraping together our you know nickels and dimes to make our organization function, mm-hmm. we always support the birth and the strength of new organizations in dance. People said, "Aren't you worried they're going to take your money?" No. They'll never take our money because even if in the short term they get something, a grant, and we don't get it, in the long term, there are more artists here working in the field of dance. There are more opportunities for dancers to perform, and therefore even better artists will come. Yeah. And they also attract an audience that appreciates what they do, and they appreciate art. And they so become the a audience. more educated audience, exactly. Yes. So then Absolutely. Turn, you gain that, that educated audience as well because they're there in Miami. Yeah, no, I mean, cruise industry is humongous in Miami. Cirque du Soleil is a, is a totally separate entity than what you guys would have ever been dealing with um, money-wise, per se. Yes, yes. So you're, you're, you're living your life in New York, you're going to Juilliard, you graduate, you stay, leave early, you're dancing. What brings you down to Miami? Uh, well, a combination of factors. And um, first of all, again, when you're a young person in the field and 
you're very internally absorbed. And sometimes you don't see the cues around you that adults are giving you. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important to be open to those cues and to ask and, and to really ask questions of the adults that are around you, that are training you and that you're, that you've chosen to surround yourself with because you could miss opportunities. So I didn't even understand that I was invited to go to the Graham company. Oh, I was told once I was in Miami for two years by a member of the company, oh, we had a contract waiting for you. I know who uh, you are. And one of the only times in my life where my heart really sank. And I said, oh, my God, that is a regret. That I was so uh, wrapped up in my life that I missed that. How could I have missed that? But in retrospect, thinking back on it, would that have been the perfect fit for you? Hard to say. I, I, I don't think it would have been a permanent place, mm-hmm. but looking at where my life was, I had started with Graham as a child and I think it, I had started with Graham as a child and I think that it made perfect sense. So I think it would have been a sensible place and my life would have been in a totally different direction. Totally different. Yep. Completely different. I mean, my mentor, when I did finally moved to Miami. I sort of abandoned him, Ben Harkarvey. Mm-hmm. And he took on one other protege after me. Mm. So I was, I was told years later that he literally wept because I had just sort of left and didn't come back. And his other, only other protege was Robert Battle. Ah, that's so, a good protege. All right. Well, so I know that that I walked away from a deep level of opportunity again, that I just had no idea was there for me, Mm -hmm. that he was grooming me to be a player in the international scene. Mm -hmm. And I didn't understand that. So this is the other advice is that you need as a young dancer, you need to speak up. We're taught not to speak up. Mm-hmm. We're taught to do what we're told and not ask questions because it's just too complicated. Yeah. But when it comes to these moments of decision making, please, dancers, go to your teachers, go to the people that you're afraid to talk to and just say, I need to talk to you. I need to understand what you think are the perspectives for my career because I'm in it and I can't see them right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, totally true. Mm-hmm. So, um, but you're moved, you moved to Miami. So my move to Miami, how did that mm-hmm. happen? I didn't know that the Graham company was looking for me. Yeah. I was working at a restaurant and mm-hmm. taking classes and I started taking Kung Fu. I decided to take Kung Fu on West what? 24th. Yes. How come I never, <clears throat> I've known you for eons and I never knew you took Kung Fu. I took Kung Fu. Fantastic. Um, Wushu, uh, Eagle Claw, Kung Fu. And of course, I mean, I had just graduated top of my class at Juilliard. They, they were drooling all over me. I mean, they had, they were telling me they wanted me to start competing like next yeah. week. And I have old videos of it. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I think are transferred to DVD. Perfect. Can't wait to and, see them. <laughs> and the studio is on West 24th, just down the block from the Jennifer Muller studio. Yeah. And one day I just decided to go upstairs to the studio and I had just been too scared to even approach. This was the company that I moved to New York that I wanted to dance with. This was the company that opened my heart to modern dance and to a deeper um, expression of myself and movement that then had blossomed the whole time uh, after I was exposed to it. I came upstairs. I ran into some people that I had danced with earlier in my in my time in New York I, I good friends and they said oh my god we wish you came yesterday we had the women's audition yesterday mm. come tomorrow to the men's audition oh yeah so I came to the men's audition and <clears throat> they told me right on the spot they said if you had been here yesterday you would have been hired hmm. You know, so this is the other thing is that our, our lives as dancers are a series of heartbreaks. Yeah, yeah. And and our and our progression has a great deal to do with how how do we cope mm-hmm. with these disappointments? You know, it's one disappointment after another. I'm I'm realizing as I'm telling you this story, there are many more disappointments than I think of. 
yeah, I think you I think you try to help yourself move past it because if you dwell in all of those no's or you know rejections Miss, it's or missed opportunities, depressing. yeah, no, of course. And I think that you know I I'm saying this all and I'm realizing, but I don't think you've ever heard me without saying them all in a row ever talk yeah. about regret or things like that. Yeah. So they said, well, you're you are granted an apprenticeship. Mm-hmm. And if anyone leaves in May, it was December, you will be first in line for the job. Mm. But there's no pay. The pay at the time was $280 a week. To be in the company. To be in the company. In New York City. In New York City. They took $280 a week. They took turns sleeping in one of the rooms in the studio that had a bed, Mm. depending on who couldn't afford housing at the time. Mm-hmm. And my first task was to cut up vegetables for a board meeting. <clears throat> and I said, well, I'm not sure about this. <laughs> and at the time, my boyfriend was a visual artist, and he was pretty much done with New York as well. And he had lived in Miami. He had mm-hmm. gone to University of Miami for one year, and he said, it's a beautiful place. And we started doing a little research and discovered that there was um, this beautiful, recently designated Art Deco district. Mm-hmm. So it was beautiful architecture. It was, there had been so many snowstorms. There had been like 15 snowstorms per year the, the past three years that I had lived there. And I'm talking about snow from October to April. Yeah. Nonstop. Yeah. Um, I was constantly on antibiotics because I was ha- just basically living with bronchitis. Um, and Jerry Houlihan, who is the woman I mentioned earlier, who she also Jacob went to Spillow. Juilliard. She, uh, oh no, she, actually, she was actually at Boston Ballet. She, but okay. she was, she was the one that, um, uh, had said that Juilliard was like a professional career. Yep. She had a company in Miami ah. and she was teaching at New World School of the Arts. She also, in the end, ended up being one of Robert Battle's mentors. Yep. He and I have, he and I have, uh, a very similar lineage and a similar outcome in different proportions. Yeah. So I knew her company was here and I knew that there was an opportunity and we just literally picked up and moved. What is Sheila thinking about this? What is she saying about Hannah moving to Miami? Your mother. Uh, Sheila, the maker. (laughs) Um, She, I think at this point was pretty perplexed because there wasn't, there wasn't a lot of support down here. And, you know, parents always want you to go where there is, where there is, Mm -hmm. but you know, I mean, my parents, they got me a triple A card. That was safe for the drive down. (laughs) And literally like that was, you know, and, uh, and they said, call on the way, you know, I mean, at this point, they knew I wasn't dancing. And I think they were disappointed probably that I was leaving New York after all of this effort to get there and doing so well without maybe giving it the best try that I could. Mm-hmm. But I, I guess now in retrospect, I realized that I had kind of bumped up against that. Well, oh, and you know, and I had a couple other experiences. I had, um, I auditioned for David Parsons. I made it to the last eight, didn't yeah. get the job, made it to Paul Taylor, did a two week audition. Literally, I was the person that he was picking, and mm-hmm. there was a teacher that had been teaching the whole summer, pro- the whole uh, workshop. Her student got selected instead. Yeah, I have a, I have a, <clears throat> yeah. Paul Taylor has a place in my heart too about with. Uh, Knowing the right people at Taylor is definitely beneficial, for sure. Yeah, and, 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 and the thing is, I mean, literally, the last day of the audition, we were doing an adagio. I'm in a penche arabesque. He stops the musician, he stops the class, and he t- has me just hold it, and he just walks around me, telling everyone my praise, singing my praise. He had me moving and dancing with company members. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a question. And then... There were many things involved. They were going to South Africa. Some people said yeah. they needed a black dancer. Some people said it was just the fact that they knew this person through this person. But so I think I had had a, a couple of disappointing moments where I knew I was good enough. And I think a lot of people 
that I know, that I interact with, they know they're good enough because they almost get there and they understand they don't hold it against anyone because, you know, sometimes it really is who fits in the costume. Yes. Sometimes mm -hmm. you can't remake the costumes. The costume designer is dead or gone. Or the fabric doesn't exist anymore. And you're taking this epic piece on tour and it has to be someone that can wear that costume. It's not personal. It's just mm -hmm. professional. Now, so I think that at that time, I think, you know, I had given it a good shot and I was ready. I felt like I could be the big fish in the little pond. Mm -hmm. But it really was very little pond. It was kind of like a puddle and I was kind of splashing around gasping for air when I moved yeah. down to Florida. Yeah. Um, Jerry Houlihan's company were actually away in Brazil and I got the cold shoulder from the other company members and I was not really allowed into the circles. And I, I don't think Jerry Houlihan realized until much later because we, we love each other and she's always been very supportive. Um, but, mm -hmm. but at that point I, I came down and I just took a break. And I think that's the other thing that dancers sometimes don't understand unless mm -hmm. they get injured. Dancers that get injured know what these breaks are about because when you're injured as a dancer, you always have to figure out how to separate yourself because you can't dance. Yeah. You have to, and, it's, a, it's a determined break for you. There's right. no other way around it. Mm -hmm. Right. It's been, yes, it's determined and not by you. Mm -hmm. But then when you go back, you often are, a better dancer yes you grow in certain ways maybe you don't have your leg quite as high but you have nuances and approaches that are so much more interesting to watch and so much more fulfilling to do yes mm -hmm. and I do I did a self-determined break <laughs> not, yeah. not a predetermined break and I you did I, the harder version of it because you weren't injured you you were still capable of doing it but you took it upon yourself to take yeah that well off. I just I needed it and we were just out of New York again it was you mm -hmm. know we left in December and it was probably snowing as we left with our four cats and yeah. uh, I, and and you know drove the U-Haul down brought a friend from New York and found an apartment in South Beach and you know just explored the city I mean South Beach was such an incredible place it was nothing else my mother, you mentioned Sheila, she still calls South Beach downtown. Right, right, yep. Because there was nothing downtown. There was South yes. Beach, and, and I lived in the 70s, and downtown was South Beach. So, you know, it was, it was a beautiful time to be there. It was, you know, the models and Versace and the clubs and the parties um, and the celebrity life. It was, it was just, it was... It was like being invited to live in, you know, Saint-Tropez or Monaco yeah. or one of those special places when it was really still special. And it's definitely not that anymore. It was a beautiful time. It was a once in a lifetime kind of thing. Yeah. And then eventually I, I kind of realized that I needed to get back to my, yeah. to my work. And I walked over to the theater, the Colony Theater, and I banged on the door until someone let me in. <laughs> and I sat there with a gentleman named Eric Fliss, who's now the... He was a technical director there, but now he's the executive director of the South Miami-Dade Cultural Arts Center. And right. he was originally a lighting designer and very involved in dance. And mm -hmm. he sat with me and he gave me a list of all the companies and all the choreographers in town. And the first on the list was Karen Peterson and Dancers, who does um, mixed ability. And mm -hmm. the second one was Momentum. And, and that was a more uh, traditional modern dance company that was both the work of the director and, and, you know, repertory. Mm -hmm. And I reached out to them both. Yeah. And I also went to this new um, dance collective called Performing Arts Network. Mm -hmm. And I met the director of the uh, local flamenco company who was there. And she immediately hired me as a teacher and, mm -hmm. and as a collaborative choreographer on a massive production that she was working on called The Mask in the Mirror about the convivencia, which is the time in Spain where the intersection of Christianity, Judaism, and Catholicism mixed with the ethnic um, uh, wave of Moors and the blacks from Africa created this massive cultural explosion very mm -hmm. similar to what we have in Miami today, ironically. And so I ended up, you know, within 
a year and a half of moving down here, becoming a professional dancer, teacher, and choreographer. Nice. You know, yeah, very quickly, very suddenly after my break and, and, and just was able to, and I remember at the same time I started teaching at Dillard Mm -hmm. and I was teaching at the studio. So I was, I was sort of growing all of my other, uh, all of my uh, forms at the same time as a professional. Yeah. And I remember, I think it was around that same time that we, that I first met you and there was definitely momentum that you had about this drive of teaching, well, not not necessarily teaching in general, but choreographing, producing works that were important to you. And I I actually, that was one of the things that stood out about the first time I met you, you had that spark. And I was like, wow, she's, I'm ready to go. It was my first foray into, your dance was the very first dance I ever did that I consider modern dance movement. Ah. You yeah. see, there you go, Nacht Wanderlin. Yeah, and that was the the transition that I knew. Wow, there is other things out there. I was hugely versed in ballet, and I, you know, I was I was taking jazz and I was taking tap, and I I was staying strict in my tr- my training with classical ballet. But then moving to Dillard was the very very first time that I was uh, ever able to do modern dance and that's that dance was the very first dance I ever did wow and Mm -hmm. and um you know speaking about training I think that that Florida really gets a a leg up for their young people because there is so much investment in arts and public schools that does not exist in other uh, other states Mm -hmm. that really provides opportunities just what you're saying for a young male dancer to have full exposure to other things. Yeah. For free. Yeah, it's true. I'm actually working with uh, the Briard Center now and we're doing arts integrations in public schools. And there is a lot of um, interest in it. I was actually really surprised about how much interest there is and how many people are actually on board to do it. And I think I took my break, and then when I went back, just like you did, investigating things that are around, and I didn't realize how important it is to have arts in schools. Yeah, it's it's really it's really amazing, and and many many states don't have it. We we really take it for granted here because mm-hmm. it's it's it permeates all of Florida, you know, yeah. from from New World all the way south to you know Coral Reef, north to Dillard. Dreyfus all the way up to Blake and Douglas yeah. Anderson. I mean, Gibbs. These are these are training programs that are producing ultimately world class dancers and performers. Yeah. In all the fields. And artists. Yeah. And visual and artists. There's this one little saying that I saw that I I because I am kind of doing this uh, art artistic integration into schools. I've been looking at a whole bunch of things and there was this saying that said an artist might not change the world, but we're teaching the artists, we're teaching the people art that could potentially change the world. So just giving them this other form of thinking could help them spark an interest or spark a desire or integrate into their learning that eventually that person or those people could change the momentum of the world. So just thinking about that, I was like, wow, I, I, I need to do this to see if I could help somebody else, you know, with their math or their science or somebody that wants to become an astronaut and um, movement and all of those things involved in it. So it's been a, it's been an interesting sort of road as well. I'm so glad to hear that because you are also a product of that, even though you actually um, came from the artistic side but nonetheless Mm -hmm. you were affected so much by these programs in your case it it brought you to the artistic side Mm -hmm. um so what a lot of people don't know is you are very persistent at getting things um so if somebody says you cannot go to the right uh you have to go to the left you will go to the left but you've you've of course exhausted every option to go to the right um, so not or maybe I'll just keep going to the left, to the left, to the left, to the left, and then I get to the <laughs> same point. Yeah. <laughs> but so when you say you were knocking on 
the colony door, I could see it. Like, I could envision it because I know you so well that you stood there and you were not going to stop until somebody showed up at that door. And I'm sure many people tried to ignore you, but you continued and then you got, you got this, these references to these companies and you're finally dancing in Miami again. What made you want to start a company? Well, in 1997, I met Diego Salterini, and mm-hmm. I was teaching his boyfriend at the time mm-hmm. at, my, at the studio, at the collective, and he mm-hmm. was not a dancer. He was a model, and he said that his boyfriend was a dancer, and he um, wanted to know what his dance was all about, so he was taking classes, and then he said, oh, he's coming. I can't wait for you to meet him. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's a dancer. You're a dancer, and so we met. And, you know, I I say it and he says that it was just this kind of uh, startling introduction. You know, we really, I don't want to say love at first sight because we are not romantically involved, but it Mm -hmm. most definitely was an inspirational moment, a moment of, you know, lights and sounds and, oh my God, this is the partner I've been looking for my whole life. Mm-hmm. Very tall man, very obviously very strong. I'm a tall woman. Part mm-hmm. of the reason I was never able to have the professional career that I wanted was because I, there was no men that I could dance with, you know? Sure. And yeah. <laughs> at the time, as I said, there were not alternative looking companies. Mm-hmm. So now there can be a company where the woman, well, there's a woman in the modern dance company and she's the tallest person in the company. That was still not part of the menu of choices of kinds of dance companies that existed. And we hit it off immediately. And Mm -hmm. very soon after that, um, I actually asked him to cover my classes because I was going to my visit my grandmother or something. Mm -hmm. But I mean, literally we just, we just looked at each other and it was it. We knew that we were going to work together and we both, or teaching there, and we both were dancing with those two companies that I mentioned, Karen Peterson mm-hmm. and Dancers and um, Momentum. Momentum Dance Company. And mm-hmm. he was also helping me with work that I was, that I was creating for Ballet Flamenco La Rosa. Mm-hmm. And soon, um, dancers started to kind of convene around us and say, oh, we love your classes, we love what you're doing would you consider starting a company? And basically it took, excuse me, until there were 11 dancers. So we started a company in a truly grassroots style. And Mm -hmm. to this day we're paying for it because the format that is the more successful is you are a celebrity dancer you find yes. donors that love you. They give you a foundation amount of money and they collect other donors that want to support this fabulous endeavor. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but we were way more democratic than that. We had mm-hmm. dancers that wanted to do the work. So it was a really more grassroots and they worked for free. We didn't mm-hmm. ask them to, we just didn't have any money. We got a grant, we started putting work together, and the the director of the studio, Performing Arts Network, she had um, the capacity to request grants, and so she helped us under her nonprofit status, Mm -hmm. under her umbrella. We wrote our first grants, and those grants were to bring dance performances to public schools. So our very Mm -hmm. first activities were in education. Yep. And... um, and that's basically how how Dance Now was founded. Nice. It was it was not it was not a, an act of ego or celebrity. It was just an act of we were and and Diego was traveling back and forth from Italy. And at one point he stayed in Italy. He was actually turned away at the border yeah. because they they found some things in his in his uh, calendar that looked like work. <clears throat> so he was stuck in Italy, mm-hmm. and I was in the U.S. And he just said, and he was touring with a Graham-based company um, on a, in a show, and he just said, Hannah, I am so ready to start this company. And, you know, it's, it's the beautiful thing about the work that we've done for 20 years is that if one of us is tired, the other one has energy. And if one of us is, is 
lost the other one is our anchor and and at the beginning you know i was the one in america and he was the the visitor so i sort of had that stability and i gave him the entree to these different organizations but then ultimately he just was ready and he said i'm just ready let's do this when i come back mm-hmm. let's do it and we did nice yeah so you know so, so you two are carving out a space for yourselves in the dance community and you've been doing it for 20 years yeah and I would say super successful in Miami. I mean, not very many companies last that long, especially in that landscape down there. Like you said, there's companies that you've danced for that have come and gone. Um, What are some of the hardest things that you two had to learn when starting this business? Um, Everything. What are the hardest things? The hardest things include how to write a grant and a foundation application. No, how to, in, yeah. at, at Juilliard or, at, or when you were in Utah, was grant writing ever part of a syllabus that you learned about? I think at Juilliard, they touched on it briefly and discussed it. But I don't think we ever, like, for example, went through a mock grant application. And I think that that would have been extremely helpful. But um, there's the, the problem is that nobody ever talks about how to do any of this. They talk about how right. to become a dancer, and many people now are, are teaching how to become a choreographer, but they're not yeah. teaching how to run a company. And that's why, for example, you have Trey McIntyre, who had multi-million dollar support, a compound in Idaho. He said, oh, I'm mm-hmm. tired of running a company. It's too hard. I want to just do my create work and work on my video projects. And he just walked Mm -hmm. away from the whole thing because he didn't have any anticipation of the level of commitment and the grueling uh, grunt work Mm -hmm. that goes behind the scenes. So even he had just money pouring in Um, other big organizations, like for example, Christopher Wielden and, Yes. Uh, Lourdes Lopez did Morphosis, which was a spinoff mm-hmm. of New York City Ballet. That crashed and burned. They couldn't figure it out. I don't know if it was a power struggle or if it was a financial issue, but that just, with all the support in the world, because it, it, it's so challenging. There's so many parts to the administration of an organization that at this point in time, another one, a girl I went to school with, Jessica Lang, mm-hmm. a very successful modern dance choreographer. Yep, yep was having a $6 million building built in Queens. They'd already broken ground. And she just said, I, I just don't want to do this. This yeah. is not what I want to do. So it, it, the, the fact that we're not trained in it has started to create a huge vacuum. So now there's all these dancers being trained, say, for example, in modern and contemporary dance, co- complexions. Uh, are they in New York? They're not. They're, it's Desmond and, and, and his partner. I can't think of his name. Um, the two directors, Dwight Roden and Desmond Richardson, Mm -hmm. they're doing their own thing and then they bring the company together. But there are very few modern dance companies that are holding it together because Mm -hmm. the work of of young choreographers, let's say, you know, not from the 60 and under, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, because it is so grueling and it's so challenging to be constantly chasing the money to not have the kind of funding to give your dancers security, to the touring circuit is completely over. There used to be a massive touring circuit and the NEA funded it. And companies, we've been told by other companies that uh, our older colleagues that had NEA support, they said, if this was the eighties, the NEA would have been throwing money at you. Danny Lewis, they would give him, I don't know, $70,000 to just do a tour. Mm-hmm. like there was so much money like it would just be easy there was just money and they would do the tour and then everyone would get paid and go home yeah. like it was not even an issue so things changed so much and then because there's so many college dance programs they no longer want to spend money to bring a performing company to their school because they have a performing company because they can do it themselves right mm-hmm. so the challenge I mean we feel very very good and very proud of the, the, not only of what we've achieved in 20 years, but of the capacity to continue. Mm -hmm. 
oh, and, sure. and, and the capacity to grow our organization. Now, granted, we do work other jobs. Our organization would have to be, and its activities would be significantly smaller, significantly smaller, if we paid ourselves what we feel we should be earning. As co-directors and choreographers. As co, right. We consider ourselves executive and artistic directors and resident choreographers. And, and I, don't mean, I don't mean that we want to make a lot of money. I just mean we can't, literally cannot make our bills on what we make from the company. We have, right. bo both of us have three other jobs. Yeah, and I think that's something that they, uh, a lot of times people don't tell you is that you, do have to supplement somehow. Correct. And, the, and, 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 and I think there's a stigma made that it's a bad thing, but correct. it's not. But it's mm -hmm. not. It's, we need to understand that in the past, artists either lived in poverty, yeah. lived at home and weren't discovered till after they died, or were supported by, let's say, the church, you know, yeah. or a magical patron. Mm -hmm. In this day and age... There's so much more opportunity. It just means you got to juggle a little bit. Mm -hmm. But let's 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 be perfectly clear. You and Diego are not just working at Apple or at Starbucks. You guys are still in the business. You are teaching. You are choreographing. You are directing. But right, our, well three, our three other company. our three other jobs are with the Joffrey Ballet School. We did 15 yeah. years with Interlochen. Um, mm -hmm. We teach um, at performing arts institutions, and and many many major choreographers teach at universities. Yes, it's just that Diego and I have opted. the The university here is New World, and when you teach at New World, you you don't really have time to do another job. So it would never be the right place for us. Mm -hmm. But there is no other school. So many many choreographers say that live in New York. They might teach part-time at Marymount, part-time yeah. at, at another institution, and run their companies. Yeah, and they're still teaching dance. And what, what I noticed from the two of you is that you're getting exposure from other regions, world, country, either or, and bringing them back as well. So you're always teaching, absorbing information and bringing it back to your company. And we have, now, we have now taken the company on tour yeah. over the past decade. Honduras, Mexico, Italy, Italy. Mm -hmm. um, and we have done residencies where we have taught and created work in Brazil, um, and uh, the company has also performed all the way out to um, Arizona, New yeah. York, New Jersey, mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, would we love to be touring? Yes. Do we love our seasons here? Yes. Um, in a perfect world, if it wouldn't take a lot for us to be able to only have this one organization to run. We just haven't found the right funders yet. Right. The Knight mm -hmm. Foundation is really the only major funder here, and they we we have never quite tapped them properly for money. And it's it's kind of a chicken and the egg because we're so busy we can't meet the people who are in charge of giving the money. Mm -hmm. And we haven't we we haven't made those contacts, but you know we're confident that it will happen. Yeah, of course, especially with a company that's been around twenty years without the without one of the major supporters in the community, you're still able to thrive. So of course, there's that speaks volumes for all of that. One of my one of my physical therapists and one of my multiple injuries, you know, in our conversation, he said to me, and this was a long time ago. This was uh, two thousand three. He said, you know, it takes 20 years to become an overnight success. Yeah, you're right there. So we're right on the edge of that, you know. And this year we're bringing in, as part of the 20th anniversary season, we went to Italy last year, and mm -hmm. we're bringing Opus Ballet to Miami this year. So, oh, so part fantastic. of our mission, yeah, I mean, the company is, they're breathtaking. They're really incredible. And I, and I would encourage anyone who has the opportunity to come see that show. It's going to be March 21st at the Aventura Arts and Cultural Center. Mm -hmm. But, you know, part of what we do is we don't just build our own community, our own work, we build community. So that includes, for example, 
bringing the opportunity. We brought Mexico City Ballet here. There would be never mm-hmm. be an opportunity for Miami audiences to see Mexico City Ballet. Yeah. We are bringing Opus Ballet here from, from Italy. Never would that chance ha- happen if it wasn't for the initiative that we created that is sponsored by the county. So mm-hmm. that now, I mean, we're just in discussion with them. They're bringing their company here in April, and they're going to actually hold auditions for their summer program in Florence. Oh, fantastic. So, so you know, the, the work that we're doing, and this is, this is the difference between running an organization and being a choreographer. I love being a choreographer. I feel I have a strong voice. I have something to say, and I will have something to say the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. But the impact of my choreography may or may not resonate with the audience members. The impact of my organization is a whole nother thing. And I think that these other choreographers that have walked away from their organizations are, I understand wanting to focus on your art, but here in Miami, it's so important that we build the community. And as you mentioned, the more that people see, the more educated they are. Mm-hmm. The community grows in multiple ways yeah. by the exposure to more art. So, you know, having an organization, I don't want to say it's more important or less important than my personal work, my art. It's a different thing, and I'm equally committed to it. Yeah, you're building a brand, you're building a name, but you're also building a, a culture around it, a culture around these experiences, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, 20 years, you, we talked about money being a hard hard part of, of things that you've had to learn and it's seriously I think for any new or seasoned company or brand it's definitely a hard thing um, so let's just foray into five things that you look at for some attributes that you look at in an outstanding um, company member I think when you talk about what is the dance now brand mm-hmm. the dance now brand of a dancer is truly the contemporary dancer. Okay. The dancer that and is just contemporary, your definition of contemporary meaning. Mm-hmm. Yes, Diego and I know we have to we have to qualify that. For us, it is the dancer that can dance ballet, modern, mm-hmm. jazz, and mm-hmm. the fusion art form of those. So the fusion art form which includes um uh, not vocabulary-based movement. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, throughout this whole interview, and I, I know that there's probably going to be some things that are going to be edited out for, for time constraints, but <laughs> I, hope, I hope that there was a message that in my life, I'm, I am a product of people who believed that dance can and should have multiple vocabularies Mm -hmm. and that our brand as an organization is that we can do the work this year of Isadora Duncan, the founder Mm -hmm. of modern dance and Doris Humphrey, one of the founders of modern dance and the year in between do a ballet on point by Gerald Arpino of the Joffrey ballet, one of the pioneers of American ballet. So mm-hmm. our dancers are expected not just to imitate the work, but to execute it at the top of its level. And to date, we are the only modern dance company ever allowed to perform the works of Joffrey Ballet or Gerald Arpino, and mm-hmm. we've performed three of them. Mm-hmm. So it's no, it's no small task to imagine that we've performed three Joffrey works and three works of modern dance masters, Jose Limon, Doris Humphrey, and Isidore Duncan. Yeah. And so, a lot of those and a lot of those works take sophisticated restraint. And I think that's what I learned in college with some Humphrey works that I was able to to do as well is there is a great sense of restraint in that movement that I I think that I didn't quite appreciate until later in my life. Well, well less less being more because there's no legs, there's not necessarily mm-hmm. you know massive amount of turns and and uh, but the capacity to do the work correctly and do the, mm-hmm. to do the technique correctly instead of imitating it. So, yeah. so number one um, attributes I'm looking for in a dancer is a versatile dancer and okay. not a jack-of-all-trades master of none, 
a master of multiple techniques. Our dancers are capable of walking into any studio where the mm -hmm. dance is being taught in any of the four major forms of concert dance, as in ballet, modern jazz, or contemporary, mm -hmm. and be at the top of that professional group of dancers. So they're yep. very rare to have that level of skill. And in fact, sometimes we have a beautiful dancer that only excels in one or two of the styles, and they usually don't last in the company because it's too mm -hmm. challenging for a, a dancer that's only a contemporary mover to do ballet work. Yep. They're, not able to, they're not able to deliver. And so I think ultimately uh, a true versatility. Second okay. top five attributes as a company member is um, a deep, powerful uh, performing um, presence. Mm -hmm. And this goes back to, as I mentioned, that sense that I, when I was so proud that I was reaching the audience on an intimate level. We are, we are between six and eight dancers. There is no corps de ballet. Yeah. There is never a moment where you're on stage where you're not seen and that where your energy is not needed mm -hmm. in executing the work. And I think, I mean, that's in general, but specifically when there's so few dancers. So being an amazing technician, which I already said is required in multiple levels, uh, excuse me, in multiple styles, has to be matched by a performance ability mm -hmm. that is stellar. And we've had dancers audition for the company that look the part and can move the part. And I go to see them in performance before we hire them and they're not magnificent. Mm -hmm. They're not magnificent and they don't, they don't know how to highlight their voices on stage individually enough. Yeah. There's a, there is a sense, there is a, there's a lot actually um, to be said about performing uh, on stage. And you, you brought a really great point up when you were talking about being at uh, Juilliard and performing and people saying you really connected with me. It, that does not come overnight for some people for a lot of people it doesn't it's having that vulnerable moment on stage or really finding the true essence of what you're doing that pairs with the, your your strength and in your technique they, mm -hmm. all have, they all have to come together but it's no and that, it's right and it's a balance of of your ego so you're mm -hmm. giving everything and and as you said respecting the work that you're doing because mm -hmm. you can just steamroll over the work and then yeah. even though you think you're doing the right thing, it's not successful mm -hmm. and vice versa. You can dedicate so much to the execution of the work that you don't get to say anything in it. And then that's boring. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, no, totally. Yeah, so, so first is the versatility at a very high level in, in mm -hmm. technique, in levels mm -hmm. of actual technique. The second is the artistic voice and the artistic yeah. mastery as a performer, not just in the studio, as a performer mm -hmm. in front of people. You know, some people in the studio are great and then they freeze up on stage. Yeah. Um, I would say in terms of at the point that they're hired, because that's pretty much all we have to look at at that point. Mm -hmm. Well, I would have to say reputation. Sure. Is in our experience as as directors, we have found that past behavior is indicative of future behavior, hmm. and we are and and that is something that is taken from like corporate HR, but it's really true. You know, when people say, "Well, this person was volatile," or they were, are just generally late, or they always deliver, but sometimes they're difficult to work with. Whatever people say about you as a dancer, it's true. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and if you don't like what's being said about you as a dancer or you hear about it, don't go asking them. Take a second to reflect. Because mm -hmm. what you don't realize is that you have made that reputation for yourself and that is what is going to determine your future. Because my experience is that whatever people say about the dancers is true. A hundred percent of the time. And, and so you, reputation. You bring up a good point. Um, like 
HR, for instance, you're interviewing for a job. They're going to call your references. When you audition for a company, it's not like they're going to call your references. They're going to know people that you've interacted with, that you've danced with or for, uh, maybe guest people that have come and taught you in your in your span of your career. And those people are right around the corner. I remember even having a conversation with you a couple weeks ago about a trip that you had gone on or a project that you were doing and you mentioned somebody's name. And I immediately said, aha, uh-huh, oh, I know I this shared, I, I was a, I shared a dorm room with that person. I shared, I, I shared a, a dorm room one summer <laughs> and back in 1995. And this was 2018. And it's yeah. just, it just goes to show you that in this small artistic world that your resume follows you. You it don't, does. Have, to, you don't yes. have to give it. It follows you and people know about things that you've done. And it like, as as more time that goes by, we were talking about this person I lived with in a dorm room and immediately I said three words and you were like, yes, that is the person you, this, no, all the fingers are pointing towards, yes, you know who this person is. No, of course. And, and I think it's important for young people to know that we will, we will value and hire a slightly lesser dancer with a slightly less facility and slightly less good on stage with a better reputation. Ah. Because we know that the trouble that can come from someone who is unreliable, tardy, difficult, doesn't learn choreography fast, mm-hmm. um, unstable, well- any, anything has had that can have a detrimental effect in such a small ensemble, we don't have mm-hmm. the time or the money to manage. Right. So we would rather work with someone that can meld with the group, mm-hmm. be a compatible family member. And we are still educators, so we can bring that person up rather mm-hmm. than a superstar that is too difficult and, and, and disrupts the whole flow. We don't have time. We just don't have time. So And their reputation when you hire them is now your reputation. Correct. So you're taking Correct. on whatever their past is as now part of your brand. Mm-hmm. So it makes mm-hmm. all the sense. Great. Yep. So reputation is number three. Um, number four is communication. The yeah. capacity mm-hmm. to communicate. Um, because dancers again and this is what I I tried I thought about these attributes and then I thought about where in my life was I successful or unsuccessful with these so mm-hmm. I I know that I missed opportunities <clears throat> because I wasn't communicating well mm-hmm. I wasn't asking the right questions but with young people that I teach I always mm-hmm. try to make sure that they know that if something is going to cause a conflict don't wait to the last minute mm-hmm. because everything can be resolvable. Sometimes it means the end of the relationship, but it's yep. so much better for everyone to deal with that resolution as soon as possible. Yeah. And if I could tell anything to dancers, it's communicate as soon as any issues come up. Because you are not going to give your bosses a chance to fix the problem. And they are so much better at fixing problems than you are. And they know so much more about the complex system that is in a delicate balance that the sooner you let them know there's a situation, the easier it will be for them to rectify the situation. Yeah. Can't fix it if if you don't tell somebody that's broken. And then, and then it creeps up on us and then we want to kill you because yeah. you, you put us in a, a, such a difficult situation. You know, I, I didn't, I didn't tell you I was leaving that Friday because I didn't think it was important. Well, what you don't know is that I was negotiating a trip that Friday for that weekend to another country. Mm-hmm. So yeah. one way or the other, I would have either said we can't do it or told you, you couldn't do it. Or, you know, I'm just giving a real life example, but but the bottom line is that communication is essential in a good company member and a standout and, company member. And I think in a company setting, it is important to communicate because there are things there. 
everything, like you said, has a solution. So mental health is a lot of things that we're facing these days and it has, it has help and it has a solution. But if you don't feel comfortable saying something to your mentors, to your, your creators, that it's hard to help somebody go past that. So even like you said, you, you, you're talking about booking a trip to another country. There are real life circumstances behind all that from communicating. You can get the situation better. Yeah, no, and, and you can, and it, it takes courage. It takes courage to know that sometimes you might get yelled at. Mm-hmm. Or you, you might, might not. You but might you not also might not. And yeah. what you don't, you're not giving the opportunity to find a solution if you don't bring up the, the issues. Mm-hmm. Yep. So. Great. So communication. Perfect. Love it. Number so what, five. What oh. So you have versatility in, in all styles, aspects. And then you have uh, uh, performance, uh, reputation, and communication. I would say the last thing is collaboration. Gotcha. Bingo. And, mm-hmm. and that is artistic and organizationally. So what does that mean? That means that when you are in the studio, the artistic side means that when you're in the studio working with your directors and your choreographers and your repetitors, that you are an open and collaborative um, member of the troupe. That means that you have a willingness to try things that are different mm-hmm. or try things that are similar in a different way. That you are willing to explore if you're asked to do so, but that also you're willing to understand the boundaries if the director or choreographer is just directly giving you information. Mm-hmm. So collaboration has has that aspect in the organization there's two sides to it one side is that you need to understand that you're in a family and that you have to be collaborative you have to be compromising you have to get along if you can't get along with the other dancers it's not going to work dance companies are too intimate you know you can of course occasionally everyone has moments of disagreement and frustration Mm -hmm. and anger even but for the most part everyone needs to be concerned with everyone's success Mm -hmm. and then the collaboration with the organization has to do with the fact that you're an ambassador for the organization yeah and that means that you might have to load marley one day and the next day you might have to be in a cocktail dress schmoozing with donors that mm-hmm. you are representing the organization and you're a member of it, a collaborating member of it. And what you do and you say is representing the company. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that goes hand in hand with reputation, with your reputation and Correct. communicating. And yes, communicating. All- yeah. So they all, I mean, other than that, the, there's the technical side, which is how you get into the company. Yeah. Being a strong mm-hmm. performer, being a technically strong and, and, and talented and high-level dancer. But the other things are, you know, there are kind of a level of wisdom mm-hmm. that goes in with being a professional. Yeah. Anywhere, really. Anywhere. Anywhere. Yeah. In, the, in the world. Hana, um, Wow. That is a lot. I mean, what people don't understand is that we've been talking for two hours. I know. And it seemed like 10 minutes. It really did. You have a great knack for giving information so wonderfully. You should well, thank maybe... that teacher that sat you down in that, those two chairs, <laughs> <Right>? metal chairs, <laughs> and just telling her thank you for, you know, like pinpoint sharp focus when communicating. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate it, TJ. And I know that um, I know that you're a good communicator as well, which is one of the reasons I love you so much, um, because you are continuing besides that. I love you as a human being, but I love you mm-hmm. as an industry professional is that you are able to continue this tradition in a field that is so much about uh, dancing around 
not the truth, but dancing around the directness because, you yeah. know, it's just, it's political and it's emotional and it's hard. So I'm glad, yeah. I'm glad that you, that you, um, got all this from it. Yeah. And I find a great value in, in all of it, you know, concert dance versus commercial dance. Um, I, I find the value in all of it and I see, I see I see the benefit in it and I, that's why I love talking to you because it reminds me of where I came from and a good and a person I uh, that taught me in university just reached out and I said thank you for everything you've done and she says and I told her I, I just want to teach like people have taught me and she says we only stand on the shoulders of the people that taught us so we just yes, keep wanting to pass that information on to people and I strangely enough come into this realization that maybe I am needed to spread information right now. Maybe that's what I need to be doing right now. I, I think you do, because I think that there's a gap right now in the generations. And other than the students I'm directly interacting with, mm -hmm. younger people are getting their information from each other so much. I think yeah. they need to hear it from others mm -hmm. because they're not going to understand why it's not working out the way they want it to. And that's why my a good mission statement for what I'm trying to do is people that want to perform. They want they they want this dream job. How better to get your information than people that are actually living your dream job right now or have lived it? You know, get that advice from people that have taken those steps that they they know how hard it is and that can give you that advice. You know, and mm -hmm. give you. Uh, the insight, all of the insight about, you know, New York dance culture history in the 90s and concert dance so eloquently. Hmm. Well, yeah. hopefully I've helped a little and maybe you can um, divvy this up into a couple of different different Episodes. segments. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Course. Over the over some some distance, because I think yeah. there's a lot of different things I talked about, including myself, as well as other subjects but i thank you yeah. for inviting me to participate and i look forward to hearing your uh, first rendition of our of our conversation yeah i'm so excited too i can't wait to sit down i mean of course just listening to you i i'm always in awe of everything that you teach and it's, it's amazing i hope everybody learns from it <laughs> i love you tj i love you too i'll talk to you later all right bye bye thanks for joining in on the conversation to view additional content, follow E's podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Be sure to subscribe and leave comments on the episode wherever this podcast can be found. See you next week.